the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, the Lord reveals that during the tribulation period, Christians are going to be severely persecuted. Some, he said in this verse, will be killed. Others will be hated without being killed. But all of Christ's followers will be persecuted because of the contempt that the world has for him. For him. Now, as we've already noted in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, throughout our Lord's ministry, he made it very clear that if you were to follow him, you could expect persecution. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who would live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We can expect it. If we are not experiencing persecution in some form, could it be that no one knows we are a Christian? The Bible is pretty emphatic that the world will hate a true follower of Jesus Christ. This is Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class with Pastor Steve Kreloff. We're glad you have joined us today. Pastor Steve has over 30 years' experience as pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These messages are taken from his sermons given at the chapel. We are presently in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, on a verse-by-verse journey through the Olivet Discourse given by Jesus. This chapter has to do with the seven-year tribulation period that will follow the rapture of the church. Pastor Steve begins our study with a review of the signs that will come before he returns to rule on the earth. Here's Pastor Steve. The South American nation of Bolivia has a very enthusiastic navy, consisting of about 4,000 men. However, they have a major problem. The nation of Bolivia doesn't have a seaport. It is a landlocked country. It has no ocean. You can look on a map. There's no ocean. But that hasn't dampened Bolivians' enthusiasm for the sea. You see, Bolivia used to extend to the Pacific Ocean. But in 1879, the nation of Chile launched a surprise attack on Bolivia and captured its coastline. And ever since that time, Bolivians have dreamed of the day that their coastline would return to the point that it's really become something of a national obsession. Every year on March 23rd, Bolivians celebrate with a parade called Day of the Sea. On that day, beauty queens from every province are selected, and one is named Miss Coastline, which is a rather odd thing since the country doesn't have a coastline, but there is a Miss Coastline. On that special day, vendors sell posters with maps of Bolivia that include a shoreline, and many throughout the country paint the words Bolivia to the sea on their car windows. In fact, there's even a well-known 
song that they sing, a romantic song about Bolivians returning to the sea. Now, this yearning for the nation to have their coast, the return of the coast, has become such a passion for Bolivians that one spokesman called it our religion. Referring to this national fixation, he said, and I quote, we're we're asphyxiated, we're cut off from the world. We've been asking for the sea since the day they took it from us, and we'll continue asking for it. It's a religion. Now, in spite of this national dream of extending Bolivia to the ocean, no one has yet come up with any kind of a concrete plan to get the seacoast back. But most Bolivians still keep the faith, hoping and longing for the return of their coast. Now, we may applaud Bolivia's perseverance in hoping that their shoreline one day will be returned, but most of us would look upon their enthusiasm with amusement, thinking of them to be actually foolish to keep hoping for something as improbable as a returned seacoast, even calling their longings for the sea misdirected zeal. But folks, that's how many people view Christians awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. They are amused by our enthusiasm but scoff at us for being, in their thinking, so foolish as to think that Jesus is coming back when it's been over 2,000 years since we've been looking for his return and he still hasn't returned. We look just as silly to them as Bolivians awaiting for a seacoast look to us. But this shouldn't surprise us. Not at all. Because Scripture teaches that scoffers will come mocking us for our belief in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though our faith is based solidly on the written word of God and not some self-created desire and dream. Peter most specifically addresses this. In Second Peter chapter 3, Peter says in verse 3, he says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come, with their mocking. Now, we're living in the last days. The last days, biblically, are from the first coming of Christ to the end. So we're in the last days. He said, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Now, he's going to go on to say they will mock the second coming of Christ. But notice what he says at the end of verse 3, because it tells us why they do such mocking. He said, following after their own lust. That is to say that these folks have an agenda. They are those who live any way they want. They live by their desires. They live by their lusts. Therefore, what Peter is saying by these words is that the real reason these folks make such an effort to deny and to mock and ridicule the second coming of Christ is because they recognize that inherent in the doctrine of Christ's return is the truth of God's judgment, divine judgment. See, Scripture teaches that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back not as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's not coming back as the Lamb to die for sinners, but as the Lion of the tribe of Judah to judge sinners. Sinners, like those who have followed after their own lust and have refused to submit to the authority of Jesus and his word. And so mockers of the second coming hate the thought of Christ's return because they know that if it's true, they're in big trouble. 
they're in big trouble because then he'll be returning to judge them for their many sins of rebellion. Therefore, the way they choose to deal with the horror of this thought of divine judgment is just by pretending it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And so they mock it and they ridicule it as if that will make it go away. They simply laugh at it. They try to convince themselves that it's not true. And they have an argument. They have a position. They have a belief system. And Peter goes on to explain it in verse 4. He said, and saying, here's what they say as they mock us and they mock the return of Christ. Where is the promise of his coming? Where is it? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. In other words, their line of reasoning is that since God has never intervened at any time in human history to deal with the world in judgment, then there is no reason to think that in the future he's going to deal with the world in judgment in the return of Christ. That is to say that everything just continues as it is. God hasn't broken into this world. He just lets things go. Ever since the fathers fell asleep, meaning a long time ago, life has continued as it always has, and there's no reason to think that it's going to be any different in the future. However, they are absolutely wrong. They are in error. Their line of reasoning is faulty. And Peter points that out in verses 5 and 6. He says, for when they maintain this, that is, they maintain this position, that everything continues just as it always has, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Peter's point is that in maintaining their position, that God has never broken in and directly judged the world since the beginning of creation, they have failed to recognize that God has done this. He's already done this in the past when he did it at the flood. He flooded the world. That was a direct intervention of God as he judged the whole earth. And Peter's point is simply to say that if God judged the world back then, then he certainly can and he will do it again at the return of Jesus Christ. Now, that brings us this morning to our study of Matthew 24. So let's turn there because Matthew 24 states most emphatically that Jesus is going to return someday and he will return in establishing his messianic kingdom on earth. However, the focus of Matthew 24 is to teach not simply that Christ is coming back, but that just prior to his return and the setting up of his earthly reign, the Lord is going to pour out his wrath on this world in a series of severe judgments during a seven year span of time known as the tribulation period. Now, several weeks ago, we began to study Matthew 24, and we discovered at that time that this chapter came about, this whole teaching came about in response to the Lord's disciples who asked Jesus for a sign, a sign concerning when his coming was about to take place. And in response to them asking for a sign, Jesus launched into this rather lengthy discourse known as the Olivet Discourse because it was said while he was located on the Mount of Olives. But instead of giving his disciples one sign, that's all they asked for. When are you coming? Show us a sign. 
that'll indicate that you're returning soon. Instead, Jesus gave them several signs that would indicate his soon return. And he likened these signs, note this, to labor pains of a pregnant woman. He said that in verse 8. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Because Why? Because like birth pangs, they will increase in number and frequency as the time of the kingdom's birth draws near. So understand, these labor pains are signs of his return. They are also events by which God is judging the world. So they're all three. Now, last week we examined three of these signs or birth pains that will take place during the first half or three and a half years into the tribulation period. And the first sign that we discovered is that there will be an increase in counterfeit messiahs. Notice verses four and five. And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, that is, I am the Messiah, and will mislead many. Now, there's always been false messiahs. I said that last week. There's always been false messiahs. But what our Lord is saying is that in this time period of the tribulation, there will be an increase. There'll be a rise in false messiahs, and they will mislead many. Many will follow their deception. And we noted last week, based on verses 23 through 26, that they will probably be very, very interested in these false messiahs because these false messiahs will have the ability to carry on supernatural wonders and miracles. That's what verses 23 through 26 tell us. They'll gain credibility. People will think they're really of God because they have the ability to do miracles. So there'll be counterfeit messiahs that will mislead many. Second sign Jesus said to look for is that not only will there be an increase in counterfeit false messiahs, but there'll be an increase in conflicts between nations. Verses 6, then the beginning of verse 7. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that's not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be people who are frightened because they will never have seen anything like this. Now, there's always been national conflicts. There's always been rumors of wars. But in the tribulation, there'll be an increase. So much so that people will be frightened because their world is going to be going haywire. Jesus said, don't be frightened. That's not yet the end. It'll look like the end of the world is, is coming immediately, but that's not yet the end. He went on to give a third sign. The third sign is not only will there be a rise in counterfeit messiahs and conflicts between nations, but calamities on the earth will increase in the form of national and natural disasters. Verse 7 goes on to say, And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Now, I would assume that the, the, the news forecast at that time will say that these are uh, just the experiences of Mother Nature. Mother Nature is having a field day with the world, but they will actually be, according to the book of Revelation, these things will be the judgments of God upon the earth. A rise in earthquakes and famines. And Jesus said in Luke's gospel, Luke records the Lord saying that in addition to earthquakes and famines, there'll be plagues, there'll be terrors, there'll be changes in the heavenly bodies. But in spite of all the death, destruction, devastation that's going to take place, the Lord points out in verse 8 that this is not the end of the world. He said this is just the beginning of labor pains. 
This isn't the end. The birth isn't yet. The labor has just started. Now, this morning, we want to continue looking at these signs. And we're going to look at just one sign today, but it's, but it's an elaborate sign because it has a number of side trails. And the fourth sign that Jesus gave concerning his return is that during the tribulation, there will be an increase in contempt for believers in Christ. We're going to be hated. Believers will be hated. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Now, the Lord reveals that during the tribulation period, Christians are going to be severely persecuted. Some, he said in this verse, will be killed. Others will be hated without being killed, but all of Christ's followers will be persecuted because of the contempt that the world has for him, for him. Now, as we've already noted in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, throughout our Lord's ministry, he made it very clear that if you were to follow him, you could expect persecution. He said it in the Sermon on the Mount. He said it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So right at the sort of the beginning of our Lord's ministry, he said, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you can expect to be persecuted. He went on in Matthew chapter 10 as he was about to send some of his disciples who he chose to be apostles out into Galilee to have a short term missions trip. He said, and I'm paraphrasing now, you can also expect to be persecuted because if they called the master of the house Beelzebub, Lord of the dung heap, then don't expect that they'll treat his servants any better. They'll persecute you. And on the very night in which he was betrayed by Judas, and then he was arrested, the Lord on that very night took his disciples aside and in an upper room in Jerusalem gave them a farewell discourse, a farewell address, and and basically laid out for them what life will be like without him in what we know as the church era, the church age. That's John starting at chapter 13, going all the way into and finishing with chapter 16. And in the midst of this, He taught them that they could expect to be persecuted in the church age. John chapter 15, starting at verse 18, says, If the world hates you, and the thought here isn't that the world might hate you. It might not. It might hate you. If it does, no, the thought here is since. Since the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. He said in chapter 16, verse 1, same setting. These things I've spoken to you that they may keep you from stumbling. In other words, when persecution comes, disciples won't be blown away. Saying, we never heard this. We didn't think this was going to happen. Jesus said, when it comes, you're prepared. So you don't stumble. But he also said they'll make you outcast from the synagogues. For an hour is coming for everyone who, who thinks if he kills you that he's offering service to God. Organized religion will turn against you. And this is exactly what happened. This is what we see in the 
book of Acts, the book of Acts tells us that when the church was formed on the day of Pentecost, shortly after that, persecution broke out in chapter 8 of Acts. We read that there was a persecution that arose against the entire church in Jerusalem. Believers scattered everywhere over the Roman Empire, over Israel, preaching the gospel. Shortly after that, the apostle James is killed. He is the first apostle to be martyred. And then right after that, Peter was thrown in prison, and had not the Lord delivered him, he would too have been killed then. And when Paul was converted, he experienced persecution almost everywhere he went. He tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and then chapter 11 that he was beaten, he was in prison. He tells us that he was whipped on five separate occasions. He was whipped by Jewish religious leaders with 39 lashes. On three separate occasions, he was beaten with rods once. He was almost killed by being stoned. And it's not only Christian leaders like James and Peter and Paul who were persecuted in the early church. Average laymen were persecuted. This was a time of persecution. Peter, in his first letter, says in chapter 4, don't be, don't be surprised about the fiery ordeal that's come upon you. They were suffering probably the persecution of Nero against the Christians. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says that, that when you were first enlightened, you had your property confiscated. Some of you were thrown in prison. So they were persecuted, folks. That was a time of deep persecution. And over the years, persecution has been a tough reality for Christians. In many countries, to be a Christian will cost them their lives. It hasn't come here yet. It probably will be coming. Persecution is going to continue to be a tough reality for believers in the church age until the church is raptured and all true Christians are caught up to be with the Lord forever in heaven. But what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 24 is that even when the church is physically removed from the world, the world's contempt for those who follow Christ is going to continue. That won't end. But it now will be directed at those who will become Christians during the time of the tribulation. Watch this. Not only will persecution of believers continue during the tribulation years, but what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 24 is that during those years, persecution is going to intensify. It's going to get worse. It's going to increase as Christians will suffer more more than any other time in history. Now, it's a valid question to ask at this point is why does the world hate Christians so much? And why are unbelievers so determined to persecute believers, especially during the tribulation period? I mean, you think they should have more on their minds. The world is falling apart, but they're going to persecute believers. Well, notice what Jesus spelled out as the reason for this in verse 9 of Matthew 24. He said, You'll be hated by all nations, and note this, because of my name. He's given us the reason. You see, those who don't love the Lord hate the Lord. Nobody is neutral about Christ. You either love him or you hate him. And the world hates Christ with a passion. Why? Because his holiness convicts and reminds and threatens their way of life which is a life lived in rebellion to his holy standards. And so they, they hate Christ, and therefore they hate everything that Jesus stands for, righteousness and purity, godly standards of what's right and what's wrong. 
Now, obviously, the people of this world cannot do any more physical harm to Christ. We already crucified him once. We can't physically harm him anymore. He's now in heaven. He's in a glorified body. He can't be physically touched. So what does the world do? They come after believers because we remind them of Jesus Christ, at least to some degree. We are constant reminders to them of what they don't want to be reminded of, namely that Jesus has holy standards. So they persecute us. Why? Because Jesus said of his name. Jesus told his disciples, Happy are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. We can face these kinds of persecution if our motives are to bring glory to our Lord and Savior. You can listen to this study again by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org. It is free for downloading or listening online. There are many other studies available in the Message Archive. They are all great spiritual resources that will help you to walk faithfully with Jesus each day. You may call us at 727-239-0306 if you have any questions or would just like to talk to someone about spiritual matters. That phone number again is 727-239-0306. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.